Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 7. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. I'm really not one to really care a whole lot about what, who's saying what and who thinks what and all that. I don't have time for that. I told y'all a couple of weeks ago, I'm grown. I don't have time for all that. I got to be about the father's business. And that's really all I care about is what God wants. And all I care about is to be able to, at the end of my life, to say, God, I have done what you called me to do. God, you showed me in 1995 what it is that I was supposed to do. And then when I got here, I did that. And now you're requiring me to walk by faith. And now, God, you're speaking to me on another level to to go to another level. And God, I just want to be where you are. And I want to do what you want me to do. And that's it. And that's it. And I think that will be it. I, I do. I just feel like that's it. To have done what God has called me to do. And, and I think Nehemiah has got to be standing there thinking, God, that's it. That's all God called him to do, and he did it. And the work was completed. In the face of distractions and situations, and yes, we laugh about the plane of Ono, but I don't think Nehemiah was laughing about the plane of Ono. And the backbiting and the gossip and the deceit and the usury and the taking advantage of one another and the problems within and the problems without, those 52 days were brutal. But he did it. Because you can do all things through Christ because he strengthens us. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. So he did it. So Nehemiah is standing there and probably praising God and thinking back when he first received the news that the city was in ruins. Verse 2 tells us he gave charge of Jerusalem to his brother Hanani and Hananiah. These guys were buddies. Both their names mean the grace of God. Isn't that interesting? What we have here is grace upon grace. (laughs) Grace upon grace. Nehemiah wasn't in, in this for his own glory. Keep in mind, he didn't call himself to Jerusalem. God called him. Nehemiah wanted to see the work done. And now that the work is done, Nehemiah knows it's time to move on and set things in place. And he let go of the ministry. You can't hold tight to the ministry. Otherwise, it won't grow. Nehemiah knew that, and God was going to use him, but he wasn't to stay in the authority in Jerusalem. You see, that's the sign of a great leader. 
A great leader can see where God has called them to be and what God has called them to do. And then once that is done, they're able to release the ministry and give it away. A mature Christian can give away ministry. An immature Christian wants to hold on. It's mine. In my ministry, it's mine. Anybody else come along? Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. I'm the leader in this ministry. This is mine. The ministry is not yours. The ministry is not mine. This church is not mine. Jesus said, upon this rock I shall build my church. The church belongs to him. And we should be willing and able and ready and looking for opportunities to hand the ministry off. And if you're not doing that, you're really not walking in maturity. And you're not walking in that place that God would have you if you're not willing to just say, God, you know, I'm giving the ministry away. or I'm looking for faithful men who shall also be able to teach. Men and women who shall also be able to teach. And give away the ministry. Nehemiah gave away the ministry. And notice he gave away the ministry to his brother. He's done the work. He's led the march. He's got the respect, the leadership of the people. And yet he can hand the ministry off to others who love God. And he put his brother in authority. And that was his brother. If you look at chapter one, don't do it now. Just write it down. Chapter one, verse two. It tells us that this was the, his brother was the first to tell him of the problem in Jerusalem. Verse 2 tells us his brother was faithful and he feared God more than many. You know, I'm sure that even in Nehemiah's day, I'm sure people had a problem with this. Nehemiah put his brother on staff at the church. Y'all know where I'm going. I'm sure people were saying, oh, yeah, Nehemiah, you put your brother in charge, nepotism, for sure. They're probably saying, why didn't you put Tobiah on staff? Remember last week we talked about Tobiah? Uh, The people of Judah really liked Tobiah. Tobiah showed Judah one side of him and Nehemiah a whole different side of him. It's the same Tobiah and Sambalot. But he was a hypocrite. He had two faces. And Judah, he, he married into the family. We talked about it at the end of service last week. He married into the family. And so people are probably thinking, you know, what about Tobiah? Nehemiah puts his brother, puts brother Grace on staff because he's his brother. I'm sure Nehemiah is getting some grief for this one. And I don't know why people have a problem with relatives being on staff. Uh, I've not heard, honestly, a whole lot of talk about that of late. Uh, But I remember even years ago, um, people had a problem. My son has largely been on staff for a while now. And my wife is on staff. And um, and my wife has always been on staff. Hello. And, um, you know, she always has been. And, and, and you know, I've told you before, uh, my wife is on staff, but she's an unpaid staff member. She works at him. <laughs> Honey, you ain't got to amen that much now. She's like, yes! <laughs> she back there catching the Holy Spirit. Y'all to see her up there. She said, I'm unpaid. And that's our choice. As a family, this is a choice that we've made. But she is on staff, and she is an unpaid staff member. But yes, I do have a son on staff, and I can honestly tell you that most of my friends who are pastors of actually fairly large churches, I'm talking, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 18,000 people, 
They have family members on staff and family members who are not on staff. And, and, and I don't think that, you know, because you are family, that it should, you know, disqualify you from being on staff. Just because you're bloodline, you're disqualified. Notice the requirement here is that these men be fearful, that means reverence God, and faithful. Did, please look at verse 2. He was a man who was faithful and he what? Feared God. Note that more than others. More than many. So it shouldn't disqualify anyone from being on staff just because they're related to, you know, the senior pastor. I think what God is looking for in a man or woman is not bloodline, but faithfulness and fearfulness or diligence and reverence. These qualifications run through scripture. I think of Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, who told Moses, church is getting too big. You need to select men who are able and fear God, Exodus 18, and fear God, men of truth who hate covetousness. Acts chapter 6, the 12 look for seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to do the work of the ministry. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So the requirement to be in ministry is not bloodline. The requirement to be in ministry is faithfulness and fearfulness. That means you reverence God. And if they don't, you disqualify yourself. I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're related or not. Y'all get what I'm trying to say. It doesn't matter. If you're not faithful and fearful, then you are disqualified. And yes, I do see that once that family member, here's just what I feel, once that family member's on staff, you pay them appropriately. You don't pay them more than you pay others because they're your family. And I see things like that happen in church too. And I don't think that's fair. Um, I think equitability is fair for all believers. Fearfulness and faithfulness. There are many people in the kingdom who can't sing like Steve and Michelle. Many people in the body who can't remember Bible verses like Pastor Nelson. Many people who don't have a knack for teaching the word of God, but God can still use them if they are fearful. Say it with me, fearful and faithful. That is what God is looking for. And if you have those requirements and you have those qualities, then you're qualified for ministry. I've seen people extremely gifted and not faithful, and God doesn't use them. Whatever you have, if you're faithful to use it for God's glory, God can use it. When it comes to serving God, the the thing is necessary on your resume is fearfulness and faithfulness. Write this down, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. It is required in a steward that he be found what? Faithful, which I honestly think is lacking in the church. Lacking in the world. There needs to be reverence and the fear of God. Well, notice in verse 3, at this time, security was high. It was like code orange. And the reason security was high was because a great victory had been won. The walls were built, and the walls couldn't protect themselves. So diligent watchmen needed to be appointed, and the walls guarded. And the gates were to be open late and closed early, verse 3. And again, Just because the work is done, we can't take 
our guard down. As a matter of fact, when you do something great for God, you need to be more diligent and put your guard up. I think of Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age. We're to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spear, which is the word of God, and praying always with all prayer and supplication. Jesus told us to watch and pray. Don't ever let your guard down. Watch and pray. Because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and a host of spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. You see, the spiritual battle can only be fought in the spirit. Nehemiah knew that he needed to be on guard. Although the walls are complete, he still needed to be ready and set a guard on the walls. The battle was won. Nehemiah set a guard on the gate. Spiritually, the battle was won. You need to set a guard and a watch over your heart. You set a guard and a watch over your spirit, over your mind, over your eyes, because when you're not watching, the enemy will scale the wall of your heart and steal what God has built. Did you get that? The enemy will scale the wall of your heart and steal what God has built. I think of his one area of ignorance in the church, and that is ignorance in this area of spiritual warfare. I've told you once, remember Sunday, if I told you once, I told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. I've told you many times. The Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. And we need to know that. And it's a battle for our hearts. Because the enemy knows if he can control your heart, he can control you. And you're a wise person if you understand that spiritual warfare is for your heart. That's why the Bible has so much to say about the heart. Do you know the word heart is found 955 times in the Bible? We believe in our heart and we love from the heart and we sing from the heart and we obey from the heart and we give from the heart. And Jeremiah 17, 9, you want to write it down? tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? No wonder David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. And when the Bible talks about the heart, the Bible isn't talking about a physical heart muscle. The Bible is talking about your inward being. It's the part of your being where we desire and we deliberate and we decide. Now keep your finger right here and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Turn quickly. Proverbs chapter 4. Actually, I'm going to teach the book of Proverbs one day. I never have. Would y'all like that? I'm going to teach this book one day. All right. Look at uh, Pro- uh, Proverbs 4. Look at verse uh, 20. You looking at verse 20? My son, give attention. If you look at verse 20, say amen. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, and do not let them depart from your eyes, and keep them in the midst of your what? Heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep your what? Heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids... Look right before you. Ponder. Think about it. 
Don't be ignorant and don't meander the path of your feet and let all your ways be established and do not turn to the right or to the left or remove your foot from evil. I want you to stay there for a second. The writer tells us to keep our hearts with all diligence. And the reason you're to keep your heart with all diligence is because everything concerning your life, believer and non-believer, comes from the heart. What you think about, how you think about it, the ideas that you entertain in the privacy of your head is a true barometer of your spiritual character and your heart. And listen, need I say, we have a heart disease in our culture. The world tries to tackle the heart problem with counseling and psychotherapy and psychoanalysis and social programs and social reformation. And the only way to deal with the heart problem is to replace it, not reconstruct it. The only, deal, the only way to deal with the heart problem is replacement, not reconstruction. We need a brand new spanking heart. God promised to give it. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit within you. And I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and, will keep, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Without a new heart or replacement and reconstruction, it's pointless. Somebody once said, it's a greatest difficulty in conversion to win the heart to God and the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. So the Bible tells us to keep your heart with all diligence. Notice it doesn't say God needs to keep your heart. Now, don't get me wrong. We are commanded. Are you listening? We are commanded to keep our hearts. Philippians 4, 7 makes that clear to us that we are to keep our hearts. But the Bible also says that we are, um, that, that God keeps our heart. And the Bible says that we're to keep our hearts. Philippians 4, 7 says that God keeps our heart. And the Bible also tells us that we are to keep our heart. As a matter of fact, I might even go as far as to say there's no responsibility greater put on your shoulders than that of the believer in keeping their heart. Now, let me give you five reasons. I want you to write them down quickly. I don't have a slide for them as to why you should guard your heart. Number one, because Christianity is a matter of the heart. Did you know that? Christianity is a matter of the heart. The word guard means to guard diligently against the enemy, to regulate with careful discipline, to maintain with proper supplies. That's what the word guard means. Christianity is a heart matter. If our hearts are not right, your life won't be right. Did you hear me? I'm going to say that again. If your heart's not right, your life won't be right. If your heart's not right, your life will be full of bitterness and hatred and malice and gossip and contention. If your heart's not right. Christianity is a matter of the heart. Secondly, you need to guard your heart because your heart is extremely valuable. You guard things of worth. You don't guard garbage. 
You put garbage out. I put my trash out every Tuesday. And I put the recyclables in a recyclable bin. I just want y'all to know I'm eco-friendly. <laughs> you guard your heart because it's the essence of who you are. It's your authentic self and the core of your being. It's where all your dreams and desires and passions live. It connects you to God. So guard your heart because it's extremely valuable. Number three, your heart is the source of everything you do. Write it down. Solomon said it's the wellspring of life. Your heart overflows into your thoughts, into your words, into your actions. It impacts everything about you. If your heart is unhealthy, everything will be unhealthy. Guard your heart because it's under constant attack. Write it down. Christian, you are living in a combat zone. We just talked about it. The Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. Satan would love to tear down the walls of your life. Satan would love to tear down the walls of your heart. So guard the walls of your life. And if they're torn down, you have a problem. Again, if you need a great study, do a study of the heart. Let me give you some observations that um, I want to give you. Actually, I only had four reasons for the heart, but I'll put the other one in observation. <laughs> I'll give you some observations about the heart, and maybe you want to write these. Just things I was just sitting around, just sitting there today, just thinking about the heart. Things regarding the heart. Like this. Keep your heart full. Keep your heart full of God. Keep your heart full of heaven. Keep your heart full of Jesus. Keep your heart full of the cross. Keep your heart full of eternity. A full-hearted person is a powerful person. Keep your heart full of the love of God. If you keep your heart full of the love of God, you'll be filled with the fullness of God. Here's one for you. Keep your heart pure. You need to keep your heart pure because if your heart's not pure, your life won't be pure. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are, what saints? Pure. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's what I was doing today, just meditating on the heart. Keep it full. Keep it pure. Keep it loyal. Write it down. We need to be sure that we aren't serving two masters. We need to be sure we our affections aren't divided with anyone or anything. It's Christ and Christ alone. Can everybody from over here to over there say amen? amen. It is Christ and Christ alone. I'll wait while you clap. Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and mammon. Keep your heart loyal to God. James 1.18 tells us a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 
because you can't serve two masters. It isn't a question of choice. It's a question of possibility. I've told you that. Jesus is saying it's simply impossible to serve mammon and serve God. And if you think that you're serving two masters, you're fooling yourself. It can't be done. You can only have one master at a time. So give your heart to Jesus alone. Have a loyal heart to Jesus. Joshua 24, 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Keep your heart loyal to Jesus. Can my saints, my brothers, my sisters say amen. amen. Keep your heart soft toward God and toward one another. Again, these are just my musings on thought, on, on the heart. Keep your heart soft to God and toward God and toward one another. The Bible has so much to say about one another. I could keep you all night. Philippians 4, 5, write it down. Let gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility of mind, consider one another better than yourself. Paul and Peter is talking about love and unity and oneness and one-mindedness. Do you realize the Bible is filled with one another's? Comfort one another, admonish one another, forgive one another. Don't lie to each other. Submit to one another. Sing praise songs to one another. Hey, just walk up to somebody and just start singing praise songs to one another. They'll be like, stop it. My ears are bleeding. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.